Hello and welcome. This is the inaugural episode of Sing Second Sport. We are in the throes of coronavirus pandemic and quarantine, but it is not stopping us from uh, this historical event. In our opinions, the uh, the first episode of Sing Second Sports. Uh, my name is John Schofield. I am joined today by Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner. Chris Cervello is our Nigel, reference to the Tony Kornheiser show. He's running the board reading the news. He'll do our old man radio later. So um, Sing Second Sports, what's the, what's the origination of this? Uh, as a lot of people know, Sing Second is a reference to uh, the singing of alma maters at the conclusion of Army-Navy games with the winner of uh, those competitions singing their alma mater second. Um, the, the group here that I just introduced, we wanted to start this podcast as a means of giving a dedicated channel to uh, Naval Academy sports. Uh, we believed that there was a dearth of this information out there. There wasn't a dedicated podcast. And we thought that as all of us have a, a relationship with the U.S. Naval Academy, we wanted to take some time and have a podcast that's dedicated to the athletes, the coaches, the alumni, and, and the support staff that, that make Navy athletics work. We hope you join us once a week for about 45 minutes as we break down Navy sports. This, this really is about uh, the goodness that comes out of the Naval Academy. And as MacArthur once said, upon the fields of friendly strife are sown the seeds of victory, giving a voice and a channel to Academy athletics um, and all of the athletes and coaches who support this. This is our goal, and we're happy to bring it to you every week. So first segment, we are going to look in the rearview mirror. Now in the future, this will typically involve what happened in the season with Naval Academy athletics. And as we all know, Naval Academy athletics and athletics everywhere uh, is not happening. And that is not only affecting us uh, emotionally as sports fans and, and as podcast hosts, but also financially. Um, in fact, there's a ESPN article this morning uh, the sudden disappearance of sports will erase at least $12 billion in revenue and hundreds of thousands of jobs, an economic catastrophe that will more than double if the college football and NFL schedules are wiped out by the coronavirus pandemic this fall. So that is obviously the financial impact on pro sports. The impact on academy athletes, particularly the seniors this year, is similarly catastrophic in my opinion. Um, a lot of athletes lost their season here in the spring, and hopefully as we go through May and June, we, we can highlight some of those athletes and get some of them on here to discuss their role. So, uh, Warden Wags, what have you noticed about the lack of sports, both locally and nationally, how it's affected you? I, as a grad, I, I have trouble segmenting the sports piece from the midshipman experience piece. So, not having commissioning week, um, just not having mids around. Um, you know, as you walk about the yard, um, you know, we've had some beautiful spring days and I've taken the occasion to, uh, <clears throat> to, you know, walk up and down stribbling and, and it's just eerie. It's like, um, some sort of a post-apocalyptic setting. Um, and, and so, you know, um, not having mids around their energy and, 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 and not to mention the, the key events that we were looking forward to in the weeks to come, especially the, the class of 20 graduating um you know so no blue angels no herndon no ring dance no commissioning event with hats thrown in the air um you know i know as a grad that those are those are signature milestones um you know i don't want to judge 
uh, a civilian college graduation like Villanova, but um, uh, you know, certainly the Naval Academy makes a big deal out of graduating um, and being part of those events uh, is, is a, a big deal. So um, that segues into what is the effect, not just on spring sports, but what's the bow wave gonna be, as you've alluded to, with the fall semester for one thing, because the Dean still hasn't said that they're not gonna pivot out of distance learning. Um, in fact, he's prepared the Faculty Senate um, to remain in this distance learning posture. Um, but we also saw through uh, the WAGS' reporting that, um, you know, the coach is in Hawaii, Coach Niamatololo is in Hawaii, sort of saying, hey, if I don't get the players back, you know, by July for conditioning and August for practice, then I'm certainly not going to put them on the field to get hurt against Notre Dame in Ireland on Labor Day. And then the corollary to that is Chet saying, well, hold on now. He's like the mayor of Amityville a little bit. You know, hold on. Uh, you know, don't touch of nothing. Um, nobody's canceled anything yet. So that tension is something that we'll be focusing on going forward. But at the 30,000-foot view to your question, John, it's just weird, right? It's just bizarre. I mean, we hoped to have done this face-to-face, uh, you know, at uh, – uh, where were we going to do it, Vin? Or where was the place? Dry, dry 85. At Dry 85. Um, and um, here we are on Zoom, right, which is suboptimal. I mean, we're making it work. But, uh, you know, I look forward to the time when we're all co-located at, at Dry 85 and, and uh, you know, out there with the people, right? And so it's, I think the overall, my takeaway, um, it's, it's unprecedented. But that doesn't really capture it. It's just weird. Right. And it's also yeah. a little bit concerning is the path out of this is is uh, is unclear. Yeah, I agree. Um, Bill, I know that you've got a unique perspective in that not only is the pandemic hitting you from just a basic lack of things to write about, uh, although you found a lot of awesome things to write about, but also you know, just the, the impact that it has on the on the journalism industry. So how have you observed the lack of Naval Academy sports and sports in general impacting your life? So much of what I do involves going to the Naval Academy during the week uh, to do interviews, either at Ricketts Hall or out at practices. And then on weekends, I'm almost always covering an event, whether during the spring it would have been Navy men's lacrosse or women's lacrosse. Sometimes I cover both on the same weekend. And then, you know, you throw in some baseball. But so my entire lifestyle has been upended in that everything I do involves getting out there. That's part of why I love being a journalist because it's so interactive and you don't sit in an office. You get out there into the field uh, to do interviews and cover games. So, you know, I used to always think, good night. Sometimes I haven't had a weekend off in 20 straight weeks or whatever it be, but now what I wouldn't give to be sitting in the press box at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium watching an Army Navy lacrosse game. So from a fiscal standpoint, I've put this question to Chad. I mean, the spring season is not a revenue generator for Naval Academy athletics. It's kind of a maintenance thing. You know, they make a little money off lacrosse games because there's men's lacrosse has admission and they sell concessions at both men's and women's lacrosse. Same with baseball. But for the most part, it's not a serious revenue generator. So Chad Gladchuk's concern is football. If the football season is in any way marred, by this, there's going to be a heavy financial price to pay. And that's why Chet is so reluctant to say that the Navy-Notre Dame game in Ireland is off. 
because Navy Notre Dame ranks as one of the single largest revenue producers for the Naval Academy Athletic Association. So not playing that game would be an enormous hit. The same could be said for Army-Navy, although I don't think that's in jeopardy. What I envision is a late start to the college football season. I can't say when. October, good Lord, maybe it's November. There's no way that they could cancel college football in the fall, in my opinion. It would be absolute economic destruction across the board for NCAA athletics. uh, Other institutions would begin to cancel so many Olympic sports that your head would spin because they just can't support them without the revenue of football. And obviously the big revenue is from television. And if there's no games being played on television, that money is clearly wiped out. So this is a major concern moving forward. There has to be some form of football. And some people have talked about possibly a split season. It starts in the fall semester and then concludes in the spring semester, and that could work. You could start November, have games November, December, then play games in January and finish up your season in February and get out of the way for March Madness, the NCAA basketball tournament. But I, I really believe for the psyche of the nation, not to mention the revenue that is absolutely needed to run college athletics, you had better start some form of college football at some point during the fall semester. So, Wags, if we have a split season like that, do we do the Army-Navy game at, like, Valentine's Day or something? That's a really good question. I mean, obviously the entire schedule will be upended. Let's just start with the Navy-Notre Dame game. It's supposed to be the season opener on August 29th in Dublin, Ireland. I don't think any of us really believe that's going to happen. The fact that it's out of the country alone causes a massive issue. I see that game being played at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore now. The question is when. Uh, If the season's pushed back, does that still remain the season opener? Um, There's been talk that perhaps non-conference games are eliminated. Now, obviously, for Notre Dame, they can't do that. All their games are non-conference. They're an independent. So uh, I can guarantee you Chet does not want to give up the Notre Dame game. So, you know, I think Navy's due to play Lehigh or some other FCS team uh, second game of the season. Uh, Chet would gladly let that go away. Their conference games uh, may have to be reduced. Instead of playing eight American Athletic Conference games, maybe you're only playing six or seven. I don't know what the landscape's going to look like, but I know from a Czech Gladchuk standpoint, three games cannot be canceled. Notre Dame, Air Force, and Army. And obviously, if the season gets pushed back, there may be a complete overhaul of the schedule, and it may not look like the schedule we see now. All right. Good discussion, gents. Uh, we're going to go to our first break. And Wags, you mentioned Scott Strassmeyer. I'll, I'll use this as the opportunity to thank those people who have helped get Sing Second Sports off the ground, uh, particularly Scott and the Sports Information Department um, at the U.S. Naval Academy, uh, helping us with access to athletes and coaches, helping us get the word out about their product. Dry 85, uh, the local bourbon bar on Main Street in Annapolis, was going to host us as kind of the title sponsor. Uh, right now, that's not possible as we're Zooming during the pandemic, but thank you to them and uh, and the other friends of the pod out there uh, who right now are not able to support us in the way that they want, but eventually they will. So stick with us. We'll be right back after the break. We'll be joined by Billy Hurley, professional golfer and Naval Academy grad, and then we'll talk to Coach Karen Gabera, the head coach of Navy Women's Soccer at the U.S. Naval Academy. We'll be right back on Sing Second Sports. 
You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. Now back to the pod. Great discussion there about football season uh, and, you know, obviously football being the, the straw that, that stirs the drink athletics-wise. When I was the PAO at the Naval Academy, my superintendent, Slapshot Carter, used to say that he was very proud of the fact that we were the number three ranked school in the country in terms of number of Division One sports. I think Stanford at 39, Ohio State at 35, and the U.S. Naval Academy at 33 D1 sport. And as Wags was mentioning, the, the revenue generation of that is football. This past week was a, a really good feather in the cap for that football program. It's Malcolm Perry, the, the quarterback of the football team. You might remember him. Your last memories might be him running for something like 1,700 to 2,000 yards on, on Army during the Army-Navy game in December. Malcolm was selected in the seventh round by the Miami Dolphins, which is a great honor for him. He obviously had the athleticism. He had the talent. Uh, and it was really nice to see his name called, albeit on the last day. The last time it happened in 2015, Joe Cardona, the long snapper, was selected in the fifth round by the New England Patriots. And uh, Keenan Reynolds, the quarterback at the time, was selected in the sixth round by the Ravens. How did you guys feel about uh, the selection of Malcolm Perry? And then what do you think it means for him going forward uh, and being able to play with the accommodation with this new DOD professional athlete policy? Ward? Well, I'm real proud of Malcolm. Um, you know, he's got a heart of gold. He, he carried the team on his back uh, last season. Um, you know, he had a, a, a mixed career at Navy. And, uh, you know, that coach is, is very candid about how he, he screwed up by not giving him fully his support um, in the uh, 2018 season. Um, and we all know the results that year weren't that great. And, and so... Um, the, the prognosticators going into last season were all like, oh, this is going to be a terrible year and we're probably three and X at best. And, and here comes Malcolm just lighting it up. Um, and so um, I had the opportunity to talk to him for another podcast that I do during Army Week. And, and you know, he's just a conscientious, uh, candid guy. It's not about him. For all of the bouquets and accolades, he has zero ego. Um, so I think in whatever he does, he's going to be a great teammate, whether that's in the NFL or whatever he does after that, whether it's an act of duty or, or whatever. And we'll talk about the details of that going forward here. But um, so I'm, I'm really pleased um, that he got drafted. Um, and then we can talk about our, our sense of success going forward. And I think the, the model for that uh, is Keenan. Right. Um, so my first answer is I, I, I'm, I'm really proud of him. I'm, I'm glad the Dolphins were smart to pick him. Malcolm Perry is a unique talent with the ball in his hands. He does special things. Um, we've seen it so many times. I, I mean, and I've seen him compete against high level uh, opponents and make defenders who are future NFL players themselves look silly. So I have no doubt that Malcolm has a shot to make it in the NFL because I know what he's capable of. Clearly, uh, making the transition from quarterback to either running back or a slot receiver. And it's interesting, when the Dolphins drafted Malcolm, then posted 
his picture as a draft choice, it listed running back as his position. During the NFL Combine and the other lead-up events, he went to the East-West Shrine Bowl. He was uh, worked out as a slot receiver, but it appears the Dolphins see him as somewhat of a third-down uh, back, you know, catching passes out of the backfield, uh, that type of thing. And I think, obviously, you can also use him as a wildcat quarterback at times. So there, he's a very versatile talent. And the bottom line is if you put the ball in Malcolm's hands, there's a chance he could take it to the house for a touchdown at any time. Um, and we can get into the whole discussion of why Malcolm's going to be allowed to pursue pro football immediately after graduation. There's a new policy in place issued by Department of Defense, but certainly that factored into his being drafted. I think if the uh, NFL scouts, the GM decision makers, were not certain of his military status, he may not have been drafted. Obviously, Malcolm went down to the wire. I watched that Saturday draft uh, from start to finish, waiting for him to be picked, and there was only nine picks remaining in the NFL draft, and I think almost all of them were compensatory selections. So Malcolm uh, was picked at the very end, but being drafted is important. That already elevates your status with the team. They're more reluctant to outright cut you. Um, they're, you know, if you don't make the squad coming out of training camp, you might at least get put on the practice squad because they've invested a draft choice in you, one of only – you know, 10 or whatever draft choices the Dolphins had. So a big feather in the cap for Malcolm. And obviously, Navy having three NFL draft picks since 2015 is incredibly impressive and shows where the program has come. I can tell you, when I first started covering Navy football in 2001, they didn't even have a Division I player. They had a lot of football championship subdivision players who were trying to play Division I. So, the level of talent in this program has skyrocketed thanks to Paul Johnson and, and Kendi Amatololo and their staffs. And it's night and day from when I first started covering this program. It brings up the difficulty in having the conversation where you are joined by your classmates for four years. You have an expectation after you sign the two for seven papers that you go out and you serve. Um, as Ward mentioned and Wags mentioned, I think uh, it was November-ish or maybe October that DOD finalized the new DOD professional athlete policy, which basically allows any player drafted uh, by a professional sports team to then graduate but not commission, um, which happens to a lot of academy uh, students and athletes. So, so what happens now is if Malcolm chooses, he can graduate with his degree, and I think he's taking final exams today, and we're hopeful of Malcolm joining this podcast next week um, to actually talk about this. But So the, the, the question then becomes, does he take advantage of this policy, walk away from the commitment that, that his classmates will have to uh, – will have to fulfill and, and go out and chase the NFL dream. I know there are some mixed feelings on this. We're going to be joined by Billy Hurley, uh, who has his own unique story in terms of commitment versus professional sports. Obviously, we have um, a lot of examples out there of, uh, of players who um, pursued professional athletics, didn't necessarily fulfill the entirety of their commitment. Um, you know, we can talk about Roger Staubach and the fact that David Robinson had to uh, delay his arrival to the NBA um, because of the commitment he served. Uh, Kyle Echol 
uh, was an example of a player, you know, who's that got a lot of interest by uh, the Patriots and Bill Belichick back in the day, but was forced to serve. And, and we're happy to be joined right now by Billy Hurley, uh, a graduate of the Naval Academy and professional golfer. Billy has a unique story in terms of, of how professional athletics and, and the availability of waivers at the time affected him. Um, Billy, uh, first of all, thank you for joining Sing Second Sports. First of all, I, I know that, that you recently had back surgery. How's everything going? And tell us a little bit about how you've been spending your time. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Good to be with you guys. Um, six months um, out from, from when I had surgery early November, and uh, it's all going well. Um, you know, progress has been steady and consistent, but it's certainly uh, – you know, as a professional golfer, back surgery is probably the last one you want to have. But um, so, so not to say we're we're a long ways from competition again, but everything points to uh, a full recovery and you know resuming competition uh, once I'm once I'm healed. So it it's all it's all going the right way. Been spending most of my time uh, in rehab. Thankful to have a gym in the basement that I can do all the things that I, that I need to do um, and, and kind of push forward towards uh, progression of getting back to 100%. So, you know, if I were a public affairs officer or a Capital Gazette writer, I'd, I'd be 100%. I'd be back to work, you know. Um, this is, uh, but, uh, you know, being a, being a professional golfer, it's going to take a little bit longer than, than your average back surgery to be, you know, fully back to what I need to be able to do to compete on the PGA Tour. The old swell in you, Billy, I'm sure could not resist the dig at the PAO. I, I appreciate that. So, Billy, a, a lot of us have watched with extreme pride your success on the tour and, and your progression on the tour. And I don't think it's lost on anyone uh, how you try to give back and, and the wearing red for veterans and even the Chung Hoon golf bag. Um, I, I think the origins of that are incredibly interesting. So can, can you walk us through, for people who don't know the intricacies of your story, how you came about, like after graduation, what your desires were, your service assignment, and then how you went through the process of actually serving your commitment and then, and then affiliating with the PGA Tour? Sure. I graduated the Naval Academy in 2004. And um, actually, interestingly enough, some of the, the policies that are um, in place today were, were, were starting to be discussed around then. I had um, conversations with, uh, with admirals around the time of graduation um, about kind of a, a 10-year reserve commitment versus a five-year active duty commitment and doing, doing some of those things. I mean, ultimately, none of that um, came to fruition at that time. And um, so I was a service warfare officer in the Navy. Um, I, uh, I, during, so I served five years active duty during that time, I did apply for the, what was then the world-class athlete program, um, which was generally designed for football, basketball, and Olympic athletes. And so there wasn't a clear cut, um, way to make golf work, so to speak in, in, inside of that policy at the time. Um, and anyway, I did apply and I was not accepted. So, um, you know, continued in the, in the five-year active duty commitment, ended up on, uh, my last ship was USS Chung Hoon destroyer out in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And, um, so yeah, finished up in, uh, finished up active duty in the summer of 2009. Uh, and then, uh, just kind of, you know, went after golf full time from, from then, uh, 
spent about a year and a half on mini tours, a year and a half on the uh, what's now the Corn Ferry Tour, kind of the the AAA baseball tour, so to speak. And um, then 2012 was my rookie year on the PGA Tour. So um, had I not been hurt, uh, this season would have been my eighth season on tour. So played seven seasons to this point. So when you look back, Billy, at uh, your time on active duty and how it played out, um, where do you think it might have helped you? Um, and, and where was, did, it, did it hurt you? Because I know you take great pride in your standing as a uh, you know surface warfare officer. Your bag is the you know gray hull with the hull number of Chun Hoon. Um, and I know the fleet takes great pride in, in, in your success, both in and out of uniform. So w- what are some of the carryovers, you know, golf being a mental game, a game of focus, a game of drive, a game of commitment? Um, what comes to mind when, when I ask you that? Well, I, I think to answer the, the overarching question, I'd do it all over again the, the same way. Um, I'm, I'm very thankful for um, the time that I spent on, on active duty for a number of reasons. Uh, one is it was actually a lot of fun. Um, you know, I mean, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always, uh, as, as you, you guys know, uh, service in the military is demanding and, and time consuming and, and all those kind of things. But But you do have a lot of um, bonds that are created for life from it. And that's, um, probably one of the biggest things, you know, that I got out of it, um, was just, you know, some of my best friends today are guys that I served with, you know, still 10 plus years later, that, that kind of thing. So, um, from, from a golf perspective, you know, the biggest thing that, that I've took away that, that carries over, uh, from Naval Academy, Navy in, into golf is, is certainly mental toughness. Um, certainly just the ability to get back up, the ability to, you know, play the next hole after a bad hole, play the next day after a bad round, keep grinding through a tough stretch of the season, you know, all the, all that kind of stuff. And then time management is certainly a huge, huge piece of, of, uh, of being at the Academy, being in the Naval service and, and then, being a professional golfer, I mean, there's, you know, so many things that can distract you and pull you away from what kind of needs to be the main thing. And um, so the ability to manage my time and, and kind of a lot segments of time to, to certain things is a, is a big deal that I use still today. I'm going to jump in real quick and just say I'm very fortunate to have covered Billy and written about his accomplishments throughout his PGA Tour career. Uh, Billy's greatest moment came at Congressional Country Club and the Bethesda area. He won the Quicken Loans. Is that correct? It was the, called the Quicken Loans at those that time. That's right. Yeah, Quicken Loans tournament. So he has a PGA Tour victory to his credit, which is no small feat. And he's uh, done very well in terms of total earnings, and therefore has uh, retained his tour card and um, has now ability to remain playing PGA Tour events for a, a while. Um, but I think really what is really interesting, and John alluded to, it, is you have use this platform that you have as a pro golfer to benefit others. And I think you and your wife have decided that supporting service members and their families is what you feel is the best charitable outreach. Can you talk a little bit about your Billy Hurley foundation, what it does? I, cause I find it very inspiring. Well, thanks flags. I think, um, you know, the, the Billy Hurley, the third foundation was just spawned out of uh, our experience as uh, active duty service members and the the idea that um we kind of uh came up with is is that 
it's not just the service member that serves, it's um, also the entire family unit. And, and you know, my wife, uh, while I was on deployment, had a, you know, we had a young son. And so she was, you know, a single mom for a better part of two deployments. And, um, you know, I, I missed a lot of stuff with my uh, oldest growing up and, you know, that, that kind of thing from, you know, kind of zero to, to two and a half or, you know, that, that kind of, that time frame of his life when I was on the destroyer. And um, so we just kind of took a look at what we could do for your kind of families, so to speak. And again, the idea that the whole family unit is, is a part of serving in the military. And so our foundation is kind of designed to support families. And um, we're, uh, we're kind of exploring a number of different avenues, um, certainly Today, with coronavirus, COVID-19, everything's a little bit on pause, and, and we haven't been able to execute as many of the initiatives as we were hoping to in 2020 to date. Um, but uh, we'll, uh, we look forward to getting back at it, uh, you know, once we kind of have this the pandemic behind us. I'm going to ask you to put on your alumni hat for a second. We were talking about Malcolm uh, Perry before uh, you joined us. I know you said you'd do it all over again, um, and and it was fine uh, that that you got denied from the program. You eventually were able to realize your PGA Tour dreams. Uh, what is your thoughts on on Malcolm um, and how he's represented Navy athletics? Uh, you know, culminating in his draft, uh, getting drafted by the Dolphins this past Saturday. And and then looking back on people like Malcolm, on Joe Cardona, on uh, Keenan Reynolds, uh, athletes who didn't have to serve their commitment the way that you did, had this policy been in place in 2004, would you have, would you have pursued it? So I think that there's um, one important distinction that when we when we have this conversation, um, whenever I have this conversation, that that I like to make, and and it's it's simply this that um, myself and the other athletes are not. Um, trying to get out of our commitment, so to speak. We're not trying to skirt our commitment. We're not trying to get around service to our country. Um, everybody who goes to the Naval Academy is, is devoted to the United States and to the United States Navy and, and the greater military as a whole. And, and so it's, it's kind of, it's serving in a different way. It's, it's serving in a way that's, um, not traditional and that is, uh, use, you know, it's kind of saying, Hey, big Navy, like you might be able to use me a little bit differently. You might be able to use me in a, in a way that is, is not just your every, uh, is not just your service worker officer or your F-18 pilot or, you know, whatever the career paths are that those guys chose along the way. Um, and so that, that's just an important distinction that, that I like to make because sometimes people think that, you know, we're trying to get out of the commitment or we don't want to serve or whatever, and nothing could be further from the truth. And I think that you know, everybody all along the way, you know, you mentioned the athletes, um, you know, from Roger Staubach to David Robinson to Napoleon McCallum to myself, Joe Cardona, um, you, you know, have, have remained committed to the United States Navy, United States Naval Academy, and, and, and that through our professional careers as well. So um, certainly, I think that if this policy were available, I would have taken advantage of it. Um, I would, it's something that I would have pursued. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's written for mainly football and basketball players, kind of where there's a draft with golf, there's no draft. And so that becomes a little bit of a unique thing. Um, and obviously, with the policy itself being unique, um, the idea of going outside of 
what's written in black and white on the paper and inside the scope of the policy gets even more difficult. Um, so that was, you know, one of the things that was a potential hang up back in when I did apply for the world class athlete program is at that time you had to have a contract with a professional team. And as you guys know, the PGA tour, there are no contracts. Um, we are independent contractors. And, and, um, so that was a nuance that made it difficult people at the highest levels of the, the Navy and the Department of Defense to kind of wrap their head around how this would work or what it would look like. That said, I think that we could do a better job inside the Navy, inside the um, you know military as a whole of, of utilizing these athletes who have tremendous ability to do recruiting, to do public affairs. I mean, like, how many people know that the center for the 49ers is an Air Force Academy graduate played in the Super Bowl? How many people know that Joe Cardona's got two Super Bowl rings? You know, United States Naval Academy drafted in the fifth round, highest, like, specialty long snapper, like, ever drafted nearly. You know, those guys don't get drafted. Like, they just get picked up in free agency. Um, and so I, I think that we just, we could do a whole lot better job of, of telling those stories and utilizing those individuals as they as they go through, you know. I mean, uh, uh, Villanueva for the, the Steelers, you know, as, as an army grad. And, you know, so there's just, there's so many guys out there and so many guys who have, who have done it. You know, I, I mean, Mitch Harris struck out the first batter he ever faced in Major League Baseball, right? I mean, like, you know, just all these, all these stories and all these people that could be used in different ways to, to still serve. And I, that's the biggest thing is no one's trying to get out of serving. We just want to use our unique abilities to serve differently. I that's couldn't agree more. Point. And I have talked about this repeatedly in written columns, but the publicity that the United States Navy receives from pro athletes like Billy Hurley winning a PGA golf tournament and throughout the entire round, the announcers are talking about his service and his background. David Robinson, for through his entire career in the NBA, was known as the Admiral. Everyone knew he was a Naval Academy graduate. The publicity value cannot even be measured. It's hard to measure what the second and third order effects are for just the, the espousing of the virtues of, of a service academy lifestyle or service academy athletics, how, how going out there and, and being an example and continuing to talk about uh, how great of a place the academy is, what that does for recruiting down the line, is, it, it, it's invaluable. Billy rightly brings up the, the way that the official mechanism is not using uh, you know, the, the professional athletes uh, that are academy grads. Um, and the other thing, as alums get high, go high and right on Facebook and in, in email chat groups about, you know, not doing the commitment uh, in, in the wake of the president going into each locker room during the Army-Navy game and saying, hey, all you guys are going to make millions of dollars, and then maybe you can do that thing where you serve the nation. You know, and everybody, everybody freaks out about that. It just doesn't scale. It's much ado about nothing. There's only one Billy Hurley in the history of the PGA, Right. Um, there, and we can name all of the names that we know, uh, in addition to the McCallums. You know, I, Phil McConkey was a firstie when I was a plebe, you know, played for the Giants. My classmate, Eddie Myers, played for the Falcons. But they're, they're kind of onesies and twosies, right? So even if you open the floodgates, you're not going to lose manpower in any meaningful way with people migrating to the, uh, the professional ranks. So I, I think... Uh, we're both right in terms of we should use them better, but it's not like the, the defense of the nation is going to be in peril because we suddenly make it okay for people to uh, not fully carry out their, their military commitment. Yeah, an interesting uh, example of someone who's affected by this, and Billy brought up the uh, 
you know, how the policy is new and needs to evolve a little bit. But uh, just last year, and Bill Wagner, you know, can talk at length about this too, uh, you know, we had uh, the highest ranked draft pick in the history of Major League Baseball when Noah Song was drafted in the fourth round by the Red Sox. Now, this isn't like the NFL draft where there were only seven rounds. You know, there are like 40 rounds in baseball. There are hundreds and hundreds of players who are drafted onto Major League Baseball teams uh, every year. And, you know, there are the famous stories of Mike Piazza from the Mets being drafted in like the 56th round. So Noah went in the fourth round, which was a huge deal. Um, But one of the weird things about the new policy is that it allows you to graduate but not commission and you need a contract beforehand. Well, the Major League Baseball draft every year is the first week of June. Um, every year, the Naval Academy graduation is on the Friday uh, before Memorial Day. So how do you do that? How, how, like, so if you're a baseball player, you're getting drafted after commissioning day. There's a lot of room for this policy to evolve and mature. Billy, have you, have you tracked Noah's story and what are your hopes for him professionally? Yeah, I know a little bit about Noah, certainly not as much as uh, some of the other guys. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, John, no, I mean, if he didn't have, if he was at another school, you know, would he have been drafted in the second round? You know, I mean, like some of these drafts go, go further down for service academy graduates because of the unknown of if they'll even be able to play. Teams are kind of not as, as willing to use a higher draft pick for a, for a, maybe it's a 75% chance or maybe it's a 50-50 chance or, or, or whatever it is. So, um, you know, the, the idea that he got drafted that high speaks to how, how great he was. And I think he was like the, uh, strikeout leader for division one, you know, that his senior year and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, an amazing pitcher. And, um, so I, you know, I hope he gets a shot at it. I mean, I hope that we can, um, figure out how to make these, uh, you know, like any policy, it's never going to catch everything. And so the question is, um, you, you know, you can't write a policy that, that encompasses every single conceivable situation and, and nuance. So the question kind of becomes, are we going to allow the policy to have some flux to capture these one-offs? And, and Ward, you're exactly right. I mean, this is, we're talking about in three service academies, we're not talking about more than two kids a year you know, that, that are, that are taking it, that are, that are giving this a shot. Right. And let's say realistically, it's probably one a year who has a, a legitimate chance, you know, and, and maybe that second guy is kind of a, gets a, gets a shot at it. And, you know, two years later comes back and fulfills his commitment or whatever. I don't know exactly how the policy reads, what the options are after, you know, um, deferring or, or, or whatever, but um, it, it's, it's not a manpower issue. Um, so it just is a, you know, you got to keep that in mind, in my opinion. And, and then I think we do have a responsibility to, to use it better. So, I mean, I hope Noah gets a chance to play and, I, and then I hope the Navy uses the heck out of him for recruiting and fellow affairs. I'll pipe yeah, in me too, for sure. I've written a lot about the Noah Song situation. He probably would have been a first round at worst second round choice if there are not questions about his military commitment. And right now he's in a, terrible limbo situation. We could do an entire pod about the Noah Song situation. I think maybe we should. Uh, but as we before we wrap, I just was recently talking to Chet Gladchuck and the grounds maintenance supervisor for the Navy about the Navy golf course renovations. And I know Billy 
knows all about that. But because golf is not allowed in the current uh, Governor Hogan order, uh, they've changed up the way they're doing the renovation. They're going to not open the course, and then they're going to proceed now with laying the fairways. And now it appears the Navy golf course is going to open in late July. Billy, just kind of tell us your thoughts real quick on the Navy golf course renovation, why it was necessary. And I know that the, the person who oversees uh, grounds maintenance for the Naval Academy believes the course is going to be amazing. Yeah, no question. It's going to be terrific um, when when the finished product is is out there in in mid to late July. And um, y- you know why was it necessary? Because like everything else in life, stuff deteriorates over time. You know, and you have to um, you know you have to put a new roof on your house every every thirty years or so. You know, you have to maintain stuff, and and um, new technology becomes available for for drainage. New new grass strands become available to withstand different climates and and you know the naval academy had never been um really had any significant maintenance or or restoration project done to it since 1945 1946 when the course as we uh see it today was 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 finished uh, there are a couple holes taken away in the 70s and added in the 70s to to make up for for some other uses of land but um you know the the project's going to be amazing um when it's when it's finished most people don't know that the naval academy golf course uh the architect is william flynn the original architect william flynn naval academy golf course was the last golf course he ever worked on in his career um and uh you know when you talk about william flynn you, you start talking about shinnecock um you start talking about a number of just famous famous golf courses that um, that he worked on in his career. Um, he's one of the, you know, kind of premier architects in the, the early to mid 1900s. Um, so that that said, it's going to be it's going to be great. I mean, what you'll see is, uh, you know, generally the same golf course. Um, you know, one tees in the same place and 18 greens in the same place as it was. It's not a drastic change, other than 12, 13, and 14 are uh, completely new holes there. But um, you know, the rest of it is just kind of restoring it, um, capturing the original architectural intent and, and adding, um, you know, updated technology in, in grasses and drainage to be able to sustain, um, to be able to sustain, uh, you know, continued play. And, and you know, ultimately, you know, I, I hope that we uh, see bigger and better college tournaments, bigger and better, you know, fields in, in Division One golf come to the Naval Academy as a result of, of the restoration that we've done. Absolutely. I, and I walked the course last week, Billy, and, and you're right. The, the, just the, the way that 12, 13, and 14 are so radically different, um, it, it, it's mind-blowing. But, but it looks gorgeous. Eric David has obviously done an amazing job, uh, Coach O and, and the staff supporting them. How involved, and I'll, and I'll let you go after, after this, how involved have you actually been in the planning um, and, and the renovation discussions. And as your playing career wraps up way in the future, do you think kind of golf course design and, and things like that, uh, you know, is that something that you want to pursue and get involved in? Or do you see yourself, you know, battling it out with like Fred Funk and Angel Cabrera on the senior tour? I, I don't know if Fred Funk's going to be on the senior tour when, I, when, I, when, that's, a, <laughs> when that's a part of uh... – uh, of my life potentially in the future, but, um, you know, I, I've been, I've been pretty involved. Um, uh, it's been, it's been a, it's been a fun experience for me. It's definitely a different side of the world. 
um, from from playing and and thinking about um, different aspects that I felt like um, I wanted to be involved just because I think that a, a a player brings a little bit different uh, angle, a little bit different eye to to a project like this. Um, it's you know one of the reasons that uh, you know TPC courses, PGA Tour owned TPC courses have a, a player as a consultant with a, with an architect and. And so I was able to do a little bit of that with Andrew Green, who is, who is the architect doing overseeing the restoration of the academy course. And Andrew's phenomenal and has done a great job and really is a, um, a great thinker about how, uh, how, how um, you know, Flynn would have thought about things and how to, how to restore it in that way. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, we, we, it was fun for me. Well, I'll just say that it, it's been fun for me to be, be a part of it. Um, I, I don't think that um, golf course architecture as a full-time thing is kind of uh, something that I'll pursue down the line, but I certainly would enjoy, you know, being kind of a, a secondary consultant on projects in the future and, and kind of helping um, think through, you know, just certain pieces of, of competition are just a little bit different from your everyday play. And so trying to, one of the things that I learned through this was trying to balance those two, you know, if you were building just a tour golf course, you'd build it very, very differently than if you're building just a member golf course and, and the brilliant architects are able to find a course that does both and, and, and meld those things together. And the sing second sports podcast is uh, directed in a large part at alumni out there. And, and so I I'm excited for alumni as they come back to the yard and hopefully uh, the fall is, is looks a little bit more normal um, with uh, class reunions and football and things of that nature. But I, I would encourage the, the disparate alumni all over the world continuing to serve or or uh, or just planning a, a trip back to their alma mater here in the fall. I, I would encourage them to take a look at the golf course, try to get out there and play. Uh, it looks so amazing right now. And Billy, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on. Uh, we're cheering for you and looking forward to a lot more wins on the PGA Tour in the future. Thanks, John. Fun, fun to be with you guys. All right. Hey, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, Sing Second Sports is proud to be joined by Navy women's soccer coach Karen Gabera. This is Sing Second Sports. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. We are joined now by Naval Academy women's soccer coach, Karen Gaveras. Karen, um, I'll let you talk a little bit about your background, but it's a pleasure to be joined on this inaugural podcast by an Olympian, a fantastic player, uh, the only coach in Naval Academy women's soccer history, and truly someone who makes the Naval Academy a better place. So thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you, gentlemen. It's great to, to be with you guys, spend some time today. Uh, obviously, I've been at the Naval Academy a long time. Um, funny thing is, when I went in to sign my contract, uh, they told me, head coaches here, don't really leave. And I went home and I you know, said to my husband, they want me to sign a three-year contract. I've never been anywhere for three years. It was the scariest thing in the world to me. But uh, here I am 27 years later. I love my job. I love every day. So um, I grew up in Southern California and I grew up playing the sport. Um, I consider myself 100% a Title IX baby because I grew up where times changed immensely and the growth and the empowerment and the change to women athletes and, and women in all different categories has been tremendous. So 
um, I've, I've had a fun ride and I love the Naval Academy because um, I get to work with quality people day in and day out. Um, the midshipmen and the staff as well. It's just the people I surround myself with. That's what's most important to me. And um, you couldn't find better individuals. And you know, if you, in the recruiting realm, people ask me what midshipmen are like. And, and you know, I, I'd say that there's two values that I think stick out the most. And it, it is drive and selflessness that, you know, they want to commit to a life of service. So I have the most respect for everybody there. And I love my job. And Every season is different. You know, college coaching is a blessing because you get new kids every year. So the whole face of your program, the whole personality and culture shifts a little bit. So it makes every year different and every year exciting. So you say every season's different. Uh, I think this year you're going to really push that envelope. Um, what, do you, what are you thinking? What do you know uh, as we sit here right now about what the impacts might be on uh, the, the fall with COVID-19? Well, for me, I'm a positive person. I've always been an optimist. So we're just, you know, we're waiting this out. I think the health officials know what they're doing. And when the time comes, we'll all be back. Um, you know, sports will recover. Uh, I have the faith in our athletic department to figure out the financial aspects and to get football back on the field. And I think it'll all work out because Americans, you know, we rely on sports. We rally around sports. And it's one of the big things that everybody's missing right now is there's no sports to watch on TV. So and sports have no boundaries. Um, so, you know, the interesting thing for me is I like to feel like as a coaching staff, we really prepare our players. So I, I think we're going to hit the ground running. I think they're doing the work. They're finishing up the academic piece right now and going to finish their finals. But they'll be prepared for whatever's thrown at us. And we'll be prepared to let them know whatever they need um, communication-wise to be ready. So, yes, it will affect all of us, but I think we all have to just do what's best, you know, health-wise and keep everybody safe, and that's the priority. And then when we're allowed to return when that is, we're going to be ready. Um, I don't, it doesn't matter to me if they give me four weeks or they give me five days. Our team will be ready on the field and we'll be ready to go. So, you know, there comes that drive piece and the grit and the resilience that midshipmen have. And they say that adversity breeds leadership. So my junior class right now that are, they're going to take over the leadership role this next fall, um, they're in the midst of some adversity, I would say. So what are they doing? Uh, you know, how are they keeping our team connected along with what we're doing to be prepared when we step on the field this fall? Karen, you had a, a fantastic season. Luckily, uh, the, the fall season wrapped up before uh, COVID hit and, and yet another successful uh, season. I was happy to be there in the stands as, as you won the Patriot League title. In your conversations with the seniors, how are they feeling uh, the firsties about just this unprecedented scenario where for four years or for three plus years, you know, as, as a firstie, you're just looking forward to commissioning week, the garden party at the Soup's house. Blue Angels, the final color parade, and then finally tossing your cap at graduation. How have the seniors dealt with the taking away of these traditions? It's a hard one because the traditions are special. We all know that it's not just a graduation at Navy, it's commissioning week and there's so much involved in it. And, you know, midshipmen identify with their company. It's the number one thing that they relate to when they graduate. And it's the question you always hear from alumni is what company are you in? So um, and what's your graduation year? So it, it's, there, you know, it, it, there's a lot of special things that are taken away, but um, it's a leadership institution and they, were, they teach a lot about culture and character and uh, our seniors are resilient and they're upset they can't have these things, but I think they're trying to make some other events special where we got some things in the works to make it special and 
you know, they've, they've, they're past it now. The decision's been made and they have respect for the superintendent and this decision and they're ready to move forward with, with what's going to happen with them graduating in groups and they're excited to start their futures. Um, and we have a diverse group, seven, seven seniors that, you know, really carried us um, in our fall season. They were tremendous. You know, the passion and the grit and their mentality is what won a championship for us. And, uh, you know, in 27 years, I wouldn't say it was our most talented team. But from day one, I'd put my money on that group because that senior leadership was going to win a championship. Um, and I was right. And you could tell from watching them train to watching them bring it every single day and whatever we were doing. So um, they're going to do the same in their careers moving forward. And they're all doing a couple of diverse things. And um, we're excited to see where they go. How involved have you been in some of the awesome stuff that NAAA is putting together on social media, like the videos, like the one of them kicking it out of frame and back into frame, uh, you know, juggling the ball. It, it's fantastic. It, we've been talking to Scott Strassmeyer, the SID, about how it really, it, it, it's finding a way to continue to humanize the athletes and, and get them out there to expose their brand during an unprecedented time. Uh, have you watched these videos? Do you plan on participating in, in any future ones if they put it together? I, I assume you still have your dribbling skills. <laughs> that remains to be seen. <laughs> um, I participate in anything they wanted. You know, I participated in the leadership one and our team's done their own juggling one and our social media has been really, really present throughout this whole issue. And it's been fun. You know, it, it's about connecting and keeping our players connected and I have a couple decent former teammates and friends that have hopped on um, some virtual meetings with our players. So our goalkeepers met with Alyssa Nair, the national team goalkeeper, for an hour. And Julie Foudy spent an hour with our entire team. And Abby Wambach's hopping on with us. You know, it, it's not – I want to bring these powerful people that I know to talk to our team, not about the sport, but about the leadership and the empowerment. And, you know, our, our ladies are going out to lead. And let's face it, the military still has a, a higher proportion of male than female um, officers. So, I, you know, we want our women prepared to lead in this world and, and, and they're going to be very good at it. So I've tried to get a lot of important leaders that, that are speaking out and that are activists and that um, are very powerful in the community nationally. And I want them to, to give them some lessons and hopefully they take some of that moving forward. No, that's a fantastic sentiment. So the, the other thing I ask you, Karen, is, you know, in 27 years, you know, I, I got grit and all the other stuff. Um, what are the other things that maybe surprised you uh, that are specific to uh, the midshipmen that you've dealt with um, over that time that maybe you didn't realize was going to be your takeaway walking into the job? I, I think something that's really special about midshipmen is the diversity that they bring. You know, we've we've covered almost every state in the nation right now, as far as getting recruits and um, extremely diverse and where they come from and their background and their religions and their races and their ethnicities. And, and they all come together and the leadership that the Naval Academy provides um, is, is more, it's not a cutthroat competitiveness. It is a more of a, there's room for more than one of the top competitiveness and they help each other. Yeah. And I'm going to leave out, you always run a risk of when you start dropping names of leaving out um, other names, but obviously there, there are tons of examples of women of character and consequence that have come out of the Naval Academy and the NWS program, the Quinn Reinhardts, the Sochi Piedras, uh, the Claire Henrys, the Amelia Shevelins. Of note, 
Nicole Anapu is, is in the astronaut program uh, down in Houston. Amy McGrath challenging Mitch McConnell for his Senate seat in Kentucky. Um, what's it like having uh, graduates of your program who are so high profile and really putting NWS on the map with their platform, what they're trying to do for the country and for society? There comes the selflessness and the life of service right there because that's what they commit to and that's what makes them so special. Uh, you know, you, you talked about two big graduates right there. Um, we have four doctors, two, two that are, you know, one's an orthopedist and one's an ER doctor and two are, one's in dental school and one's a dentist. Uh, we have Melissa Lawrence is in the FBI. Um, Amy Hakola Lindsay is in, you know, lives in the Midwest now in Nebraska, and she started Kicks for a Cure, which is a, which is a cancer foundation that's raised over $1 million dollars. Um, we've had two academic All-American of the Years. There's one of those in the entire United States of America. And we've only had two at the Naval Academy. And they're both women's soccer players in Beth Reed and Megan Hegarty. Um, last season, Sid Fortson was a senior class award winner, one in the nation. 19 academic All-Americans, four scholar All-Americans. Uh, Grace Kelly Green is a 2000 grad that lives She's from Alaska and lives in Seattle currently, and she's a president of a major corporation. Commander Aaron Means, a professor at the Naval Academy. Lizzie Barnes is a high school teacher and coach. And then Kate Herons is currently playing with USA Rugby and an Olympic hopeful. And Kristen Laraway is a collegiate coach, a Division I soccer coach. So various commands we've held, real estate agents, businesswomen. Um, we even have one grad that's this running winery operations for a major winery. So... When we have our alumni weekends, John, I sit in that room and I'm astounded and so respectful of what they do. And it's so funny because they talk about their time at Navy when I'm in awe of what our players and our graduates do um, when they leave the academy and, and their mark on the, on the nation and the community. They're, they're truly remarkable. And um, that's one, another reason I love my job is the X's and O's. That's fun. And it, 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 but it's such a small part of my job and I'm a people person and just being able, you know, we go back to, you said, uh, why do I work there and how have I been there so long? The quality of the people I surround myself with, what they do is just fantastic. And it's not one, it's all of them. You're, you're definitely uh, a, a coach um, that the Naval Academy should be proud to have on staff. And, and I know I'm uh, lucky to have uh, been able to share time with you there. So thank you uh, very much, Karen. And, and good luck to, to you and your family. I, I, we, we live very close to each other. We see each other running on the sidewalk sometimes. So uh, I know that you're relishing some time with uh, your kids who are out of the house. Now they're back in the house. I hope everyone stays healthy and happy. Well, thanks. Same to you. Thank you, gentlemen. Many thanks to Coach Karen Gabera uh, and Billy Hurley. I would say that that's a home run, a grand slam home run for our first podcast in terms of guests. Karen, obviously a, a, a player and a coach of great repute and, and Billy, uh, all the things he's done on the tour and for his alma mater. Fantastic. So I can't say it enough. I, I love the idea of talking about Naval Academy sports. I love exactly what Karen said, the, the product that is produced out of service academies every year not only athletically, but just people of, of substance uh, who you're happy to be around. What are you looking forward to on the horizon? Well, I think we set a high bar with the pilot episode here, um, John, for the reasons you've already stated. And as you also alluded to, it's sort of impossible to talk about Navy sports in a vacuum. You have to talk about what the future holds for midshipmen. You have to talk about the leadership aspect of coaches and mentors. 
Um, we have to talk about the city of Annapolis and, and the support of locals of MIDS and midshipman activities and midshipman sports. And so we had all that in this, this show. We've set a high bar. Um, so I'm really excited about what we're going to do here with Sing Second Sports. All right. And so uh, for everyone out there, please subscribe, listen, uh, share the podcast with, uh, with your classmates, shipmates. The idea here is to bring the news and the updates of, of the Naval Academy Annapolis and Naval Academy Sports to the alumni out there all over the world. For Bill Wagner, our special guest today, Ward Carroll, Aaron Gabera, and Billy Hurley, many thanks to our producer, Chris Herbello. We will see you next week on Sing Second Sports. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. And here's to all Navy sports singing second.